0: So one of the great uh, pre-war G'daylam in Europe uh, was somebody by the name of Rabbi Yosef Rosen, who lived from 1858 to 1936. He was known as the Ragachevr, the Ragachevr Gain. Um, I guess the only thing that comes to mind when describing the Ragachevr was that he was absolutely brilliant all Gedele Israel were brilliant no doubt but there were a few people that were notably remarkably extraordinarily brilliant like in a league of their own and one of them was the Ragachavar the Ragachavar was a rav in a city uh, called um, Dvinsk And this was an interesting city because there were actually two parts to the city. There was the part of the city that was Hasidish, and then there was a part of the city that was litvish. So, I mean, it's not, for us in America, it's not so hard to understand because all cities sort of are like that, right? You always have, uh, in any city, I imagine, you can have a, a litvish element and then a Hasidish element. That's not rare. But in Europe, it was rare. In Europe, you're either chasidish or you're litvish. You're either on one side of the border or another side of the border. It was very rare to have a mixed community. But that was what Davinsk had. And, um, and it had two extraordinary rabbonim. Uh, there was the ragged Shaver, who was the rab of the chasidisha part of town, chasidisha community, who was actually a Lubavitcher Hasid. And then there was the other side of town, the litvisha Community in Devinsk that was under the uh, the rabbinical um, seat of uh, of Remeir Simcha of Devinsk. Anyone ever hear of Rameir Simcha of Devinsk? What svarim did he wrote? He wrote two famous svarim. <inaudible> <inaudible> Excellent. The Arsameach <inaudible> and the Meshachachma. Very good. The Arsameach was his work on Rambam. And the Yeshivas Ar was named after that. And then the Meshachachm was a Sefer on Chumash. They're both very famous. I, would, I think that the Meshachachm, it's safe to say, is more famous. And in fact, he wanted to put it out first, the Rameer Simcha. But his father said, no, first put out the Lumdish Sefer on Rambam, the arsameach Because if you put out first the Sefer on Chumash, People are going to like peg you as a, like just a regular pulpit rabbi who has chumashtayrah, although his chumashtayrah is like also very, very deep and very uh, Lumdish, But so he did that. He he, he put out first their samach and later uh, he prepared the Meshachachm for print. Uh, and I think it was printed posthumously. I don't think he was alive when it was actually printed. But we're not talking about Rameir Simcha. We're talking about the Ragechever today. And the Ragechever and Rameir Simcha, though, had a wonderful relationship, even though they were, I guess, different in the styles of their learning. The Rameir Simcha was much more of a classic uh, Lamdin. uh The Ragechever was just a massive computer, if you could use that word. He was a genius. If you look at his writings, most of his writings are I in this, I in that. There's are svarim, meaning he just, like, put, like, hundreds, maybe thousands of marmokayimis, and you were expected to like follow, of course, the logic of knowing all these things. You, no one could understand it except the Raghachev. That's why after he died, they, there was like a whole institute that put out his works, but all with footnotes explaining exactly what each source is and where he was going with it, what's the flow of his tshuva, what's the flow of his chiddish very, very complicated Taira, but they respected each other tremendously, these two Rabbanim, and, um, and that was, uh, that was the Raghachabar Um One famous feature of the Raghachabar, and I'm not showing you the picture until after I finished describing him, was he had very, very long hair. So the one uh, one very uh, prominent thing about the Rogachev is that he had like a, a bush of hair, almost like we're learning Masechus Nazir today. He looked, if you could say he looked like a Nazir, that's, I guess, the, the best way to describe him. And it wasn't clear why exactly he didn't want to get a haircut regularly. Uh, some say it was because he was always thinking and learning, so he didn't want to... If you get a haircut, you're not supposed to think and learning while you're getting your haircut. There's tumma, You're not wearing a yarmulke or whatever it is. So, you know. So because of that, he uh, he did not, you know, get a haircut too often. There are some other theories, but whatever they may be, that's a very distinctive part of who the ragitshaver was. That's very famous about the ragitshaver. Now, m- like many gedilim, the Ragajavar did not want his picture taken. Very. Uh, many G'dayalim as we've described over the year um, it was hard to get a picture of them because they felt that either halakhically there was something wrong with having a picture taken of you uh, or cabalistically uh, there was something wrong something about the spirit being somehow um, taken from you in a small way by having an image drawn of you or, or taken of you and so because of that many G'dayalim were very resistant, very reluctant to have their picture taken. Today, it's very rare to find a gadol that you know will stop anyone, from, except in like a, uh, maybe in al Hasidim um, and you know You have to be very careful. If you go into one of the shuls in meisharim and you see that, you know and you pull out your camera, they will literally. And I, I've I've been there. I, I went with somebody once. I think it was on. By and uh, a friend of mine who was a younger guy, he brought a camera in with him. He started taking pictures. I said, you can't do that here, and, and it was too late. By then, they already grabbed his camera, and it wasn't a cheap camera, and they took him to a side room. They were gonna break the whole camera. In the end, we sort of plea bargained that they would just open the camera and take out the film and, and destroy it. But they mean business. They do not want you to take pictures. But today, you know, there are so many gedalim that have their pictures taken constantly. Reb Chaim Kanievsky, although he also years earlier, I think, did have hakadosh brus. You know, he's the most photographed rabbi, probably in the history of the world. I mean, there's, there's you know, there's, I would say, millions of pictures of Reb Chaim Kanievsky that were taken over the last thirty years, easily, um, especially with an iPhone. Like, you know, just it's constant. It was constant. But many gedalim did not, and. One time, um, there was a gathering of, of G'dayl Yisrael, and a photographer asked the Raghachever to take his picture. And he says, no, absolutely not. I'm not allowing you to take a picture. And Rameer Shapiro of Lublin, who we've talked about in previous weeks, about you know the founder of, uh, of Dafyemi and the, the founder of... Uh, Yeshivas Shachmin Lublin, approached the Raget and said to him that he must have missed a medrash. There's, apparently there's a medrash that you're not aware of. That was impossible, because the Raget knew absolutely everything. He had an encyclopedic mind like no one else. Like, he knew every everything. So, so he says, which medrash did I miss? Wait, what are you talking about? What medrash did I miss? So he says, Ramey Shapira said that there's a medrash that said that says that Hashem carved the image of Yaakov Avinu on his heavenly throne. If we were to see a picture of Hashem's Kisei HaKavid, one of the parts of the Kisei HaKavid has Yaakov Avinu's picture on it. Now, that's the Medrash. So, the the, Rameo Shapiro asked the Raghachev, why would Hashem want a picture of Yaakov Avinu on his throne? So Rameir Shapiro offered the following answer, that Hashem knew that a time would come when the image of what was an authentic, righteous Jew would look like would be a rarity. And by preserving Yaakov's image on his throne, he would always keep the image of a true Jew before him at all times, because there will be a day that we won't know what a true Jew looks like. So Hashem wanted to Immortalize the, the image of Yaakovina to know what, what a, a real Yid looks like. And Rav Meir Shapiro said, and I say as well, days will come when people will not know what a genuine Jew will, should look like. And for this reason, for the sake of posterity, allow your picture to be taken. And the Rav acquiesced, he agreed. And today we have several portraits of his angelic countenance, such as this one. Those are actually two. One is like a painting of him, and the other one is a, an actual photograph. But the painting comes from a photograph. He looks familiar. Ever saw his picture? When I was in Koltayra, where I learned in Eretz Yisrael as a bacher, so there was there were always, always people. It was a big yeshivah. So there were always people that came. To, uh, to the yeshiva uh, to sell their wares. Thank you. Some sold, um, you know, svarim, of course, and then there were some that sold pictures of g'daylim. So there's this one old Russian Jew who, um, who used to come in with pictures of g'daylim. So you'd expect him to have, like, a variety. But all the only types of pictures he had was the ragachover. That's it. So I asked him, like, don't you think it would be better for business if you, like, you know... I mean, you know, mixed it up a little bit, like throwing some Rukhim Kanyevsky, some staplers, some Ramesha Feinstein. like what are you just like, you know, you're you have to you know, you're putting all your eggs in one basket? He says, What are you talking about? He says, I grew up in Davinsk. The Shavu was my personal Rav. He was the Rebbe. He says, That's all I'm interested in. I just all I want all all I know of is the Shavu, and that's all I sell. So it's chashev to meet an old Russian Jew who was actually I don't know if he was a Talmud of the Ragacheva, but he was a constituent of the Rogachava in Davinsk. But the Rogachava, they like in Yeshivas, they always said that that the that ten Einsteins didn't equal one Ragacheva. As much as we think about Albert Einstein, like how brilliant he was, Lahavdil, ten Einsteins weren't one Ragahchev. The Ragacheva was like like beyond, beyond, beyond brilliant, like in a different league. Okay, so there's a medrash, actually it's very timely, in Shemais Rabbah, in Perak Bey's Medrash Bey's, it says, what does it take to be a genuine leader? You ever wonder, like, what's the, uh, what does it take uh, to become a leader? If you want to be a leader, what would be your, um, your training ground to be a leader? There's all types of uh, books, you know, in English that are printed about leadership. And you know, how to be a, it might be written by a president, by a CEO, by a mayor. A lot of books about how to be a leader, of a, either of a company, of a, uh, you know, politically or, or religiously, whatever it is. So the Medrash says that, I'll tell you what, how exactly you could be a leader. Who was the greatest leader that Kla Yisrael had? Meshra Abenu. Meshra Abenu was a shepherd as was David Amalek as was other great leaders in history, Moshe was shepherding the sheep of Yisrael, his father-in-law. We'll le- learn about that next Shabbos. And one of his sheep ran away, and Moshe ran after it. He found it at a spring of water, and it was drinking thirstily. Moshe, with great sympathy, said to the sheep, How you thirsted for water! And lovingly cradling the sheep in his arms, Moshe returned it to his flock. And Hashem noted that, Hashem took notice of that, and said, You are compassionate in tending sheep, you will tend my flock, the people of Israel. Meaning that a Jewish leader, a true Jewish leader, has to possess a kind hardness for each individual, and a sense of responsibility for all, especially the most vulnerable. You see, people that are not leaders, are not natural leaders, are more obsessed and consumed with just themselves. Listen, if I could pay my bills and I could get through the day, I'm happy. I don't don't have the capacity to worry about other people. I gotta just take care of myself, my family, Uh, but to be worrying about the shul, to be worried about the local yeshiva, to be worried about the city that I'm in, the state, The country, that's like beyond me. That's not my, it's not my role. A leader doesn't see things that way. A real natural leader will look to other people and assume responsibility. Like, there's something that needs to be done. I'm going to do it. There's somebody, you know, there's a community. We need to have a Hatzalah member. I'll I'll, I'll volunteer for Hatzalah. I volunteer for Chaver, I volunteer for Biker for Chavir Kadisha, for uh, you know for being the Gabe of the shul, being the president of the shul, being a fundraiser for the for the local mikvah, Whatever it is that need that there are things that needs to be done for the for the population at large, a leader will take responsibility and then will care about every single person in the community. A good Rav cares about not just, you know, his own job and his own drushes, but will care about every every person davening the shul. And if somebody's not there for Shabbos, we will follow up and see where they, where they are, what's going on with them. Uh, a good rabbi, a good, you know, we'll do that also if you have a, a shir and, you know, there are people that are missing. So then, you know, we'll go out of our way and uh, and try to figure out where the people that are missing are. That's what a true Jewish leader possesses. He he has a kind-hardness. Like Meshach Rabbeinu cared about every individual sheep. Even one sheep ran away, he ran after it, he took care of it, he cradled it. That's what a leader has to be. He takes responsibility and he does it lovingly. And I found a magnificent photo of Rabbi Shlema Halberstam of Babov. He lived from 1907 to 2000 and he was the Babov Rebbe. Today, Babov is one of the biggest Hasidim. I, I, I know people that lived in Borough Park at the time after the Holocaust, and they told me that the Rebbe himself had to come out of his little shtibol to get a minion. He didn't have a minion when after the Holocaust all the Hasidim were killed. So he was able to somehow make it to these shores. He found less than 10 people. Today, Bobov is tens of thousands of Hasidim, probably. There's uh, even a breakaway chassidus. There's the regular baba. There's something called Baba Forty Five. It's on Forty Fifth Street in Borough Park, and then they have branches in Eretz Yisrael, Probably branches all over Europe. It's a huge chassidus. The baba Rebo, his name was of halberstam Um, He was its head. And I found this like amazing picture. This might have been the first picture that I I found that I when I saw it I said okay I need to write a book on this because it's such a beautiful picture. Um, So it's a picture of him sitting on a park bench in the autumn. He was wearing his full Hasidic garb and with a silver-handled walking stick, the Rebbe was sitting in the park with his hand open, feeding the pigeons, feeding the birds from his hand. And that's a sign of true leadership. Like Meish Rebbe, who cared about... He he was a leader of thousands of Hasidim. What's he worrying about an individual pigeon for? But that care and concern about every being, not just living human beings, but even sheep, even pigeons, uh, that is a mark of leadership. That shows his care, concern, love um, for every, everything in HaKadosh Baruch Hu's world, and that is what made him such an amazing leader. It's a good-sized room today. Baruch Hashem, pulled out all the stops today for me. I appreciate it. I can see it from here. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay, let's do one more. Let's find a good one. I think we did that one already. Okay, let's do um, one on, any svardim in the room? All right. One of the great Svardisha G'daylam, Svarda G'daylam, besa- everyone knows uh, Ravadya Sef. You know, he was the leading Svarda God, he was like the face of Sardic Jewry, but there was another, uh, there were several others, but I would say maybe the number two after Ravadya um, was Rabin Siyan Abashol, Rebn Sin Abashal was also a brilliant Svardek Gadol. He was the Rashiva Parat Yosef, and like Rabad Yosef, he was. they were both Talmidim of Reb Ezra Atiya, who you'll see a picture of together with a younger um Sin Sina Abashal. Uh, they were both Talmidim of this great man, Reb Rabaz- Rab Ezra, and they were Chavrusas, Reb uh, Rab- Ad Yosef, and Rabbin Sin Abbashoel were chavrusas. I used to see Rabbin Sin in Beit Vagan because my yeshiva Kultair was in Beit Vagan. He used to, I don't know if he lived there, but he was always there. I don't know why. Maybe he was, he might have lived there or maybe he had Talmudim there. He was, I've seen, I used to see him very often there. Um, and him and Ravad Yosef were chavrusas. And uh, I think I heard once that by Bayesium, they made a seam together on probably on Shas. I mean, you know, they both knew everything and they both learned together. And, um, and I think Urbansiyan was speaking about the greatness of Ravadya and he said that how he knows every single letter of every daf of Gemara and Shas. Meaning he's a, he's a bucky nifla and shas. We know that. Ravad Yosef, whatever we said about the rugged shavar and the way he used to write ayin here, ayin there, look here, look there, and without even saying what they said, that's how a lot of Ravad Yosef's chuvas are as well. His halachic response, so were all ayin in this safe, ayin in that safe. he didn't need the svarim. He just had it all in his brain. He was an also encyclopedic. And Ravad then returned the compliment to Rebensin at the Siyam, and he says, it's true that I might know what's on the page, but Rabin Siyan knows what's behind the page. And what he meant was that Rabin Siyan was a, a lamdan, like a real, not to say that Rabin Yosef was not, but Rabin Siyan, like, was able to like, really penetrate deeply into the understanding, the deepest understanding of the Gemara. And Rabin felt that that was his, his maila. We have his farm in the yeshiva, they're called arlutzion. And I, when I was a a bacher learning in Chaim Berlin, I had a svar dekchavrusa, and he was very interested. And besides learning whatever Gemara we were learning with the regular achreinim, uh, he wanted to also use Rabinstein Abishol's sefer on, you know, on Shas, and um, on that masechta I believe was Yavamis, and it was fascinating. We used to learn together a lot of the tyra that he wrote on Shas, and. They, the Saredim have a very different Derech halima than the Ashkenazim do. And I find it really intriguing, very compelling. They have a Meseira. So if you notice, like in Tesis, sometimes Tesis will ask a question using the word vikasha, and it's difficult. Other times, Tesis will, will say Vim Taimar. And if you say, other times Tais will say Tema. It's a wonder. And there's many different of these L'shen. Now, we don't know what to do. We just go through. Okay, he's asking Akasha, let's go. The Sephardim have a messiah that when he says one way, when it says, when Taisas uses the word Tema, it's a wonder, that means one thing. And when he, means, when he writes Kasha, it's difficult, it's a different thing. And they're able to like, learn a lot just from the, the, uh, the lexicon that, that the R'shenim use. That's itself a sheer in and of itself. And they derive a lot. It's so a very, very beautiful way of learning. So, this photograph that I'm going to show you um, was taken during a conversation, like I said before, between Rabbi Ezra Atiyah and Rabbi Tzien Abashal. And when Rabbi Tzien was 20 years old, Rabbi Ezra chose him to be tested by Rabbi Lazar Silver. Rabbi Lazar Silver, I think we've spoken about in the past, he was the Rob in Cincinnati, brilliant rabbi in America. He was visiting Eretz Israel together with a prospective donor, meaning there was a very wealthy guy that came with Ablai so He wanted to give a lot of money to the yeshiva, but he only wanted to give it um, if, if um, Rabbi Silver posed a question to all the Sephardic students in the yeshiva, and if anyone could answer it, then you know, he, then this donor that came with him would give a very large, kind let's say a million dollars to the yeshiva. So if Silver who was a genius, he threw out a question, to the to the group of the yeshiva, and Rabbi Shool um, answered the question um, with a um, and he gave his answer. He asked the question; it's from Taurus, like a very obscure part of Shas, and he and he gave a certain answer. And when he gave that answer, Rabbi Silver remarked in astonishment that he had asked the same question of Mayor Simcha of Davinsk, who we just spoke about two pictures ago, the author of the Arsamech and the Chachma. And um, he asked that 40 years earlier, and that he had given the same exact answer. And I, I end it, needless to say, Rabbi Sian secured the donation of the philanthropist, and more importantly, the highest regard of Rabbi Silver. So this is the, uh, the, the last third photo that we're going to see today. This is Rebbe Tzinnah Abashal, and this is and the old man standing next to a younger Rebbe Sin is Rebbe Ezra Atiyah.